You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 54 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here today kind of flying solo with my good buddy, Lee Fields. We're going to have uh, some great conversation, and you're going to get to tune in to a conversation that we recorded a while back, and we're really excited about what you get to hear. Hi. Hi. How are you? You know what's funny? When you opened and you're like, um, I'm here with my good buddy. I don't know why this reminded me of this, but there's this YouTube yep. video <laughs> of this guy, and it's called like, some what's his name? It's something Sings, and he's like, hey, I'm going to show you that I can I can sing eight octaves. And he opens the video like, hey, everybody. Have you seen this video? <laughs> I've seen the video. I don't remember the hey, everybody. But. And once he gets like past an octave, he keeps singing the same note, even though he's moving up yes. the piano. <laughs> yes, it is brilliant. I think he's got more than one video. He does. Yes. He does. What is it? What is his name? All right. I need to look it up right now because it's going to drive me crazy. It's something sings is the name of the video, and it is unbelievably funny. I feel bad for the guy. I guess we're actually making fun of the guy, but he kind of deserves well, it. Well, <laughs> it's not us making fun of him. It's the whole YouTube universe. That's true. That's very true. By the way, it's um, Shane Sings Five Octaves. That's it. Shane Sings Five Octaves. So everybody, it's, uh, it's a video from 10 years ago, actually, <laughs> back when YouTube was really, really good. That's like true. back when you were making the transition from E-bombs world to YouTube. Yeah. Before pandemics and QAnon, there were. That's, that's right. <laughs> Shane Sings. <laughs> Shane Sings five octaves. Well, I think, I think our um, MXU listeners need to single-handedly revive the popularity of Shane Sings Five Octaves on YouTube. Right. He'll be we like, to, where'd all these... We need to have a visible a visible bump in uh, viewership. Maybe we could get Shane to do gear reviews for like microphones and... <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> this is going to be a ridiculous episode, I can tell. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, um, you sent me this recording that we're going to play today because I wasn't there. So I listened to yes. it this morning as I was poking around the house, getting the kids in school and all that. And dude, it's really good. Yeah. So this was from the MXU Now sessions that we did at Tweed Recording a couple months ago. And we ended our time there with just uh, kind of a roundtable, sit-down conversations with um, the lead instructor at Tweed, Charlie Chastain, the CEO of Tweed Recording, Andrew Ratcliffe, and Chris Raybold and me. Never heard of him. And I know. He's... He's an up and comer. You'll yeah. you'll hear from him soon, um, and it was just a great a great opportunity for us to sit down and just kind of talk about all kinds of stuff. And so, this is part one of that conversation. The great thing about this is that we are going to release the video of this conversation on MXU now on the same day that the podcast comes out. So, you guys who've downloaded this automatically, you'll receive this on Monday. That video will be on MXU Now on Monday as well. So you can have this as the reference for the audio, and then you can see the video um, in, at the same time, which is awesome. The, was it the Mildly Handsome Gentleman? League of Medium Handsome Men. That's it. <laughs> League of Medium. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So 
that's our first installment of the League of Medium Handsome Men. And so we're excited for you to hear it. And if you're not an MXU Now subscriber, I'm telling you, we tell you this every time. But what are you thinking? Go to mxu.rocks, sign up for MXU Now because you get over 300 videos of training for all kinds of topics for you and your whole team. And you get to eavesdrop on conversations like we had with the League of Medium Handsome Men. So I wonder if Shane would be interested in a license deal for his videos. <laughs> we I could think, put some I Shane sings might. on MXU now. <laughs> it might be it might take over the site as the most popular channel topic. We'll see. What if what if he's a volunteer at his church and a subscriber and he's listening right now? Shout We'd out to love Shane. to have you on the show, Shane. Yes, Reach out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <clears throat> so well we have other things to talk about though too um, we do one is i tested positive for covid right now you are you have the bug i have the bug well i have a positive test result from having the bug and i was i would have been really suspicious about a false positive except for the fact that i cannot taste or smell i think that's real you have it then yeah it's kind of a telltale symptom but it is really annoying like not being able to taste is no fun that's a good way to lose weight it is but the weird thing is i don't have any desire to eat like i have to remind myself that i'm hungry and that i need to eat because it's just not interesting and it's funny it just may it just reminds me of just God's creativity in designing our systems with taste buds and stuff, because not only is it more fun to eat, but it actually makes you want to eat when you should because of that desire to taste things. It's weird. I I don't know. That makes me think God's more of a masochist (laughs) because I just, I can't stop because it's so good. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So, Our theology is on point today. <laughs> Nathan Finocchio, eat your heart out. That's right. Well, anyway, just, just in case anybody's wondering, I am feeling fine. It feels like I have a cold. You can probably hear it in my voice. But other than a little bit of extra fatigue and sleeping more, um, I haven't had a fever. I haven't had nausea or any kind of aches and pains other than just feeling like I've got a cold and can't taste or smell. So I think I'm, I think I'm actually coming through it. Okay. And so thank you all for your well wishes and we're going to get through it just fine. Just stay away from those nursing homes. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, I was kind of joking, but like you are locking yourself down. Yes. Yes. We are, um, finishing up a, I guess 10 tomorrow will be 10 days since the onset of symptoms. And so um, I didn't get the positive result from the test until Monday, but I've had symptoms for about 10 days. So we're coming through. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I was in Tulsa last week, putting some consoles at transformation. So that was fun. They're, uh, they're getting four consoles. I, maybe I'll take a second here to explain that because a lot of people have asked, like, why four consoles? What do you do with four consoles? Yeah. So there's three PM10s, front house monitors, and broadcast music. 
And then there's a PM3 that we're calling master control. Uh-huh. And here's why you need the fourth one. Because with a broadcast music desk, it's only doing music. And the PM3 and master control is doing the online service. So they'll have, imagine this, it's 9.30 in the morning. Service is going to start in an, in an hour. And they've already started a pre-show service outside. Mm-hmm. They've got live live hosts and all kinds of stuff, interactive stuff going on. Yeah, interactive stuff outside. They may play some videos outside that are independent of what happens in the service inside. And while that's happening, the band is rehearsing inside. There's the problem. Gotcha. Right? So you have a music console, and then the PM3 is master control, which is actually mixing the web stream. So they'll get a stereo feed from music broadcast and then they've also got all the crowd mics they've got all ifbs they're doing all the matrixing for the comm system for camera ops and directors what the audio and video control is all of that's coming from master control so it's almost like houston like it's nasa right Mm -hmm. so everything comes into there and then master control sends everything else out that's why you need four consoles Got it. It's so funny that a year ago it was like, do churches need broadcast consoles? Well, <laughs> you know, you can you can do really well just pulling a mix off front of house. And that's true, you still can. But is the moment you start programming two different experiences that are running simultaneously, yeah, you for sure need a broadcast console. Right. And then it's arguable, do you need a fourth? So I believe our friends at Elevation are, are similar. And a lot of the programming transformation is going to do is modeled after theirs. So they have a music desk. And then I think Zach has a smaller Digico and Master Control. He'll he'll let me know if I'm right or not. But I think that's true. Yeah. But same thing, like when you go to like Jimmy Fallon or any Tonight Show, any of the late night shows, there's a music mix just for the guest artist. Right. So if, if Coldplay is on Jimmy Fallon, but the roots are also playing, right? So they do the the intro. That's a completely different band in some TV shows and right. different audio console. So there may be a guy just mixing the guest band that's coming to do one song. Right. And then a band console and then a master control console. They kind of go, they go wild with it. Yeah. Well, it's important when you've like you say, when you've got that many dedicated uses, you know, everybody yeah. it's it's almost like it's almost like a big festival where you've got a desk that every that all the other artist consoles kind of sum into but yeah. that that master console is the is the PA control it's video playback it's host mics it's all the stuff yes. so that XYZ artists can come in and load their show file and program and do whatever they need to do on any number of two or three different consoles at a time without interrupting yeah. the main feed to the PA so that if you know if switchfoot is coming in after the band that I'm mixing then their engineer can come in and load his stuff and you know program what he needs to do to get ready for them while we're doing our show and he's not going live to the PA but I am and you know that we've seen that yeah. concept a lot in in different venues over the years and different applications it just so happens that that is now working its way into church more and more. You know, it yep. used to be only the big boys who had actual dedicated TV like broadcasts would require that kind of stuff. But now, you know, like you're saying, especially when you've got 
simultaneous content, you know, that the idea of a rehearsal happening while something else is happening is a perfect example of why you would need that. Yeah. They'll also, Elevation may do this too. They'll be simultaneous programming during the service. So if you're in the room, you may be experiencing like worship and it's a song, but online's not getting the song. Maybe they're only going to get three songs. People in the room are going to get four. Yeah. Something completely different is happening. Yeah. So it'd be one thing to get over a hurdle of it being a rehearsal. You could go like, well, you well, you didn't have to be there, but the actual programming of the event could be different for online than it is in yeah. the room. In also. real time. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. So that brings up something else I actually want to talk about. And okay. I think I have a firm opinion on this, but I'm willing to change it. So okay, before I start going, this is the way, the truth, and the light, I'm I'm 90% that, okay, but I'm not sure. And it's DAWs for broadcast. So when I say DAW, some people may not know what that means. That stands for Digital Audio Workstation. That's a abbreviation for I use a laptop and Pro Tools or an iMac and Ableton or or whatever DAW of your choice to mix your broadcast. So there are a slew of people and companies, you know, uh, helping churches pull this off. And I'm all for helping churches. I really am. That's kind of why we started all this. That, that is how we started <laughs> this. Um, I'm not sure that it's the best thing or or the right thing i i guess this is this is where i'm at with this i don't i don't know well where i land on this is what's frustrating to me is when i hear somebody say that using a daw to accomplish a broadcast mix is the only way to do it right or the only way that it will sound the way they want right the only way to get a good result i i definitely disagree with that because i think there are several ways to skin this cat and i think if you if you start making statements like well the only way to get a good result on this is to do xyz uh you're boxing yourself into a corner and you're making other people feel like if they don't do it that way then they're somehow less than and i just i just disagree with that yeah i do too i feel like i have heard people say the only way to get it to sound good is this and i feel like the people saying that are musicians and studio rats, studio junkies. And those guys are really good at making tracks and coming up with songs. And they have their, their pro tool session or their logic sessions that sound really good. Yeah. But I feel like they're saying that in spite of an audio engineer or a front of house guy or someone else. They're like, well, they're not doing it the way I want. Here's what I want. So that the first thing that is, is like a communication problem and a relationship issue. If there's a certain sound that you want to get that you've only been able to get in Pro Tools, you are insane if you think that that can't happen on an S6L made by the same company, right? With the same plugins, right? You you know what I mean? Totally. That arguably has better. Well, I don't even want to get into like bussing and summing and all that. Like it, it doesn't have anything to do with that. But so that that's one argument for the whole thing. It's um someone has said that to me. Um, well, if we want it to sound good, you need to do this. Uh, and another reason they say that is because they can replace drums. That's another big one. Because you can't replace drums live. Well, there's a reason you can't replace drums live. Let me tell you about something called latency. Right. 
when you replace the drums, you put everything out of time. So right. what have we been talking about for the past four months with <laughs> Robert and you know everyone? It's about latency, delay compensation, impulse response, like that whole conversation and how we know that when everything's in time, it sounds better. Like right. that's, I think that's safe to say. And one of our friends that works for a console manufacturer heard us kind of talking about this and he texted us and said, thank you guys for talking about um, the DAW thing. And of course he's biased. He works for a console manufacturer. However, they are getting phone calls and having to troubleshoot timing issues with people. But what they found was each drum sample they were using in the DAW, it called for a different latency. So like one sample may make your snare channel more latent than the other. Right. And if you're swapping those out and you're not aware of it, it throws everything off. You got stuff out of phase. So the other thing, there's like a hybrid scenario, and that's what this guy was talking about. So people will use a console at front of house, go direct out of your drums into Pro Tools, throw slate trigger on there, replace the drums, and then pull them back into the console. That's insanity to me. Yeah. You're going you're going to induce so much latency and so many potential problems it's like i i don't understand why somebody wouldn't want to just get a better sounding drum kit and a better way to record their live drums like this is a this is a live this is a live performance are you saying you can change the way the drum sounds before it goes to pro tools <laughs> is that what i'm hearing you say uh, that is exactly what you're hearing me say i mean we need to call the elders together and pray for you. Well, there's this old studio technique called mic placement and drum <laughs> tuning. Um, yeah, how do you think those samples got to be the way they sounded? Exactly. They were recorded with microphones. Yeah, no, no they didn't get drawn up in Microsoft Paint. <laughs> Mac Paint. Mac. That's the, the biggest failure of the Apple OS is there's no paint. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's hard not to get super opinionated about this. I'm uh, at some point we're capturing a live performance, and I think yeah. some I think sometimes people get frustrated by the it might be the quality of their performance. It's like, well, okay, so mentally I just have a real problem justifying. The fact that we've cast vision for volunteer musicians and we want people to serve. And so we're going to have this band on stage that's made up of accountants and dentists and secretaries who aren't studio musicians for a living. And so in order to make them better, we're going to go to a sample library to get them to sound good. Right. That to me defeats the whole purpose. Yep. It's like we need to be, we need to at least be intellectually honest about this. To go, guys, this is what you asked for. You've got amateur musicians playing, you know, maybe less than studio quality gear. There's there's a couple of opportunities for improvement right there. Yep. Instead of just by default going to, you know, drummer placer and, and you know, trying to get beat detective to do all the work for you. I I don't know. It's it's a strange, it's a strange thing. So that's the performance and quality side of it. And then there's a couple other issues. There's two more big ones for me. 
And the next one is not even the dinger. I'll save the dinger for last. <laughs> we'll for cleanup. The next one is just the functionality. Right. So a live audio console, you know, a CL5, an SD9, like any live console, they have built-in functionality to accommodate live events. That's what they're designed to do. Things like auxes and buses. Now, I realize DEWs have that as well. But how do you do things like um, on the fly, in the middle of the service, hey, can you send a feed of just the vocals to uh, this mix and then your video engineer is going to do something with it? Maybe it's going to the lobby. Maybe it, who knows where that's going? Like, how do you do that in the middle of a service in a DAW? Right. I I could be wrong. Like, I know I'm using words like insanity, but I'm telling you, I'm open to changing my mind on this. Yeah. If someone will educate me. Well, and the other thing, the other thing about functionality is scenes and snapshots. Exa- yes. How do you, uh, like, how can you, during rehearsal, a quick sound check, how do you kind of pre-program your DAW to follow along with those kinds of snap judgment decisions? Right. It, it, it's really hard to scope some of those things that need to be instantaneous um, in, in the context of Pro Tools. I'm unaware of it. It could exist, maybe, but I'm not sure. I've made mistakes on the podcast before, even recently. I said I said something about a the QL series console not being touchscreen and it in fact is. So I could be I could be wrong on this too. I don't think I am, but and then like how do you time code? Like how yeah. That I mean, I know a lot of churches aren't using time code, but like what about that? What about talkbacks? You know, so I could see people going, well, I'll I'll go buy a cheap LS9 even and park beside the DAW to do all that stuff. Yeah. I could totally see people going like, oh, you could do that. But at that point, like, why not just buy a QL and do the whole thing on there anyway? Buy a waves rack so that your vocals are in tune. Even Frick, go buy Torque if you want to detune the snare drum. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a lot of functionality things. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of that. And you know, by definition, and for for the purpose for which it was built, you know, a DAW was meant initially to work like a tape machine. I mean, you record things to it, and then you mix and process in post. So the whole DAW for live has always been incongruent to me. It's like I love Pro Tools in a post production environment. I love yeah. using it as a mix tool for things that are already recorded but in real time live to me it's it's not the purpose for which it was built in my mind no and you know how we know that because pro tools made a live console <laughs> right exactly you know like come on yeah. like if it could be used for live and that was a wise decision why in the frick did they make the venue right the d show those are first consoles like right. come on because it's not made to do that um you ready for the the dinger the dinger okay um it's not reliable yeah. it crashes yeah now that's not to say that consoles don't crash ever because obviously anything with the computer in it is crash prone but most consoles will continue to pass audio even if the surface shuts down. 
Right. That's true. I can't say that about the kernel panic on my MacBook Pro when everything gets bottlenecked and I'm out of bandwidth and the computer shuts down. Right. Right. I mean, I, I've heard people say to me directly, well, the DAW crashes about as much as our whatever console at front of house. Well, that shouldn't happen either. <laughs> right. So there's probably an issue there exactly. as well. Like I have mixed thousands of shows, events, services. So have you. Yeah. How many times in 20 plus years has a console caused the show to stop at front of house on you? Once, but we fixed it. And that was because the motherboard in the console itself just gave up the ghost. Stopped. Yeah. Which is extremely rare. Extremely rare. But what we're hearing from people with DWs is it's once every year, once every two years, it crashes. Yeah. That's unacceptable. So here's what I'd say. If you're willing to put a DW at broadcast, we'll sell your SD12 in front of house then and put Pro Tools there. Right. There is no difference in putting a DW at broadcast to go to 5,000 people as there is uh, an M7 at front of house with 500 people. So if it's so reliable for you to broadcast, then all right, big boy, put your money where your mouth is. Park that thing at front of house with 500 people in the room. Are your butt cheeks going to be squeezed a little tighter? <laughs> Absolutely. Mine sure would. I wouldn't yeah. I would not step behind the console. Okay, let's say Chris Tomlin calls you and says, "Hey, we're going back to Madison Square Garden, Jeff. We're getting the band back together. Let's let's do this." And he says, "Oh, but there's one catch. Uh you're going to use my brand new MacBook Pro. I mean, it, this thing's got eight cores. It's got 64 gigs of RAM. It's got a two terabyte hard drive, solid state, smoking. But we're going to mix the whole show in Pro Tools at Madison Square Garden. What would you say? It's not what it's designed to do. I bet you would say, Chris, I can't do I, that it, show. No, it's just not. It's just not reliable. No, but the guys are going, well, I'd mix broadcasts for a million people on pro tools it just baffles me yeah and i know people say like well in input mode input monitoring it's way more stable that's true it is but still crashing once a year like since when is that acceptable it's not no it's not if we were going to go buy a fifty thousand dollar console and the manufacturer said um yeah it's really reliable it should only crash on you one out of 50 times you would not buy the console. Right. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of feedback on this conversation. Yeah. I, I mean, I welcome it. So, yeah. and, and, you know, let us know if we're wrong. I think the lines are being blurred. You yeah. know, and it used to be that this was way more cut and dried than it is now. I guess my, my point ultimately comes down to, it's not a better tool necessarily. No. And it's not it's not a replacement for a good live mix. Like I have heard great broadcast results from people whose mix is coming just straight off the front of house desk and has a little more processing on the output bus that's going to broadcast. You know, maybe there's more limiting, maybe there's some extra ambience mics and other things, you know but it's not a bad mix. No. And just to assume that you have to have a DAW 
to get a good broadcast mix is a myth. That is 100% a myth. And I'll say it again. I'm willing to change my mind on this. I may not sound like it, but I am. So prove me wrong. But I'm going to be a single issue voter on this. You know, (laughs) I'm going to be a, well, is it possible that it'll crash? If the answer is yes, I'm out. I'm Shark Tank. Sorry, I'm out. There you go. All right, Mark Cuban. It's good (laughs) to know. Um, Well, it's a good, I mean, it's a good conversation to have. It's a good, you know, it's it's a more timely discussion now than ever because people really are trying to figure out how to get help. And I think I'm all about people getting good opinions and good advice and good resources for how to make it better. But again, the problem for me is when there's this all or nothing argument because it's not all or nothing i would rather i know we should be done with this we'll talk more about it but i would rather see like what's a a macbook pro and pro tools and some plugins going to cost someone that's it's not cheap it's not cheap no three grand two grand minimum probably twenty five hundred just for the computer i know i'm just trying to be like well if you wanted a mac mini i get i like What's the least expensive way to do that? Probably three thousand bucks, yeah, two thousand. Yeah, but like, what's an X thirty two cost? I guarantee you, it's more reliable than Pro Tools. And you put Aaron Padilla on an X thirty two to mix your broadcast, and it would smoke whatever Pro Tools template you downloaded off of whatever BitTorrent <laughs> site. I'm telling you. All right. Well. Okay, I'm done. Now we know where Lee stands. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to our conversation with the guys at Tweed. Uh, This was from a couple of months ago. We were there to record some MXU Now content, and we just sat down with them to just kind of talk about music in general. And what I love about this was getting to hear from them how they think about listening to music and how that informs some of the choices they make in their mixing. And it's just, it's a really cool perspective. And so I'm, I'm excited for you guys to let us know what you think. Well, hey everybody, we're here today at Tweed Recording in Athens, Georgia. And I'm here with our friends, Chris Raybold, Charlie Chastain, and Andrew Ratcliffe. And we're just here to just kind of talk about stuff in audio world and how we approach different aspects of things. Um, we've kind of sort of dubbed ourselves now the newest members of the sort of medium handsome men. The League of Medium Handsome Men. The League of Medium <laughs> Handsome <laughs> Men <laughs> just sitting around talking. So hopefully I'm not bringing down the curve too hard on that designation, but um, I'm glad you guys are here because I think whether you're a live engineer or a studio engineer, one of the key components of what we do is how we listen to stuff. I mean, we're all so concerned about individual inputs and pristine EQs or compressor settings or all that. But I think as we zoom out and sort of listen to music as we're building a mix, there's, I just want to get from you guys, like what, as you think about how you listen and what you're listening for, how do you start to peel back the layers on that? Because sometimes a, a less experienced engineer or somebody who's just starting out um, really struggles with when they start combining things together in a mix, how to get separation, how to find clarity, how to get 
the key elements to speak the way they would want them to. And I think a lot of it has to do with just sort of how you listen intently and kind of peel those layers of the onion back in that process. So I thought it'd be fun just to spend a few minutes talking about that process, what we're thinking about as we're listening, what we're listening for. You know, before we even start twiddling knobs, it's like, okay, what is it about this sound that I really want to express as its essence? And how is that going to combine with everything else? So what do you guys think? Wow, that's a big question. I guess for me, uh, the best, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from um, a pretty prominent producer in New York City I was an assistant engineer on uh, for a recording session. And he told me with a thick Brooklyn accent that the, the key to a great song, in his opinion, was asses shaking and people humming along to the, to the words. And if, you, <laughs> if they're dancing and they're singing, you're in the right place. If you, yeah. if you achieve both of those things, you're in the right um, you're moving in the right direction. And um, I've I found the older I get and the longer that I do this, I'm less concerned about separation. Maybe at the beginning I was trying to separate too much yeah. and process too many things. And I've seen my workflows shift over time in that direction. That's cool. Yeah. Right. For me personally, I think it dictates kind of what type of music you're working on. I mean, yeah. if you're you know, for a studio perspective, if you're working on a jazz record, then it's kind of this all-encompassing thing of, you know, everybody in the room together and there's bleed and things coming across one another. I mean, that's, that's where I started the studio that I started was, hey, let's get everybody in the room together and get weird and kind of see what happens with, you know, things blending over one another. And then, you know, for singer-songwriter stuff is the vocal. I mean, right. what, what yeah, that's the message. That's, that's what's coming across that's most important. So I think the song can help dictate that. Yeah, that's really cool. The, so genre. the genre and the song. Yeah. And I love that idea of kind of capturing that feeling of people playing in the room together and being okay with not everything being super ISO'd and, yeah. you know, being able to kind of take just the sound of this tom-tom mm -hmm. and craft it because it's getting bleed from everything else in the room. So how do you use that as a way to kind of see it as an additive component to other things that are going on. Yeah, I remember distinctly for the first three or four years of, of running the studio, I mean, that's that's what we were doing with it because the space dictated. I mean, we had local bands and regional bands were all in the room together, mm -hmm. so we didn't have the, the virtue and the accessibility to ISO things. So I remember the first record that I did where it was layered and we put the drums to a click track and layered thing, and it was really strange for me because I was like, well, where's you know, where's everything coming across the microphone? So there's there's a lot of balance in that. Interesting. When you said that, <clears throat> you were saying, where's the, what I was filling in the blank quickly with was, where's the hug? Like, where's the combining yeah. element of all of it, you know? Yeah. Um, when you were speaking, it, it made me think about something that's constantly on my mind now. And it's, as I get older, mm -hmm. I too watch, you know, I watch myself change and I watch myself settle into patterns. But one of the hardest things to do for me oftentimes is to hear the song as music, not as a mix. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, there you go. You know what I mean by that? Which is what you were alluding to early yep. on. And the same thing with like, it's it's just, you know how it is. You start working on the hi-hat, next thing you know, it's lead hi-hat. Mm -hmm. You start working on the <laughs> piano, it's lead, and then things just do this. And it's tough to kind of know what are the bounds, you know, uh, where, where are we, or the boundaries rather, you know, what are we, where are we moving and working within? And then we, we did something yesterday 
mix-wise, I don't know if you remember it, but at one point I said, okay, now we're going to do the most important thing there is. And I stepped back. Yeah. yeah. Stop. Stop. And listen. Right. And it's tough. Yeah. And it, it's hard. It's funny. I can disconnect in my car in a second and not listen critically. I just hear music. But when it's me and I'm touching this thing, uh-huh. something then we're looking with pinpoint precision. I can't do that anymore, man. You, you I, can't help but hear. I tell young people that you know, we speak to about coming to school, it's like, okay, go home and listen to the song that you like least out mm-hmm. of any other song and mm-hmm. listen to it every day for the next eight days. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I can go back and listen to the, the music of my youth and my dad you know, shoving Motown and stacks and all that in my head. Mm-hmm. But there came a point in time where I felt like I was in the studio and I was like, hey man, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this. I get it. And now a song comes on. It's like, well, Mike's on the you kick. Pick, yeah, What's room like? Where was this recorded? And you just, you just dissected, like you said, over yeah. and over again, where it's not pleasurable anymore. It's awful. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and it is a curse. Yeah. And it's even worse when it's a track you worked on and it's on the radio. Yeah. And it comes on. Now that's brutal. Yeah. Your own work. And you're like, all the flaws. I hate that snare drum. What was I thinking? Right. (laughs) Well, the problem is we've all been in a situation during a mix where it's like, this is never finished. Oh, yeah. yeah, You get a deadline and it's like, okay, this is where we're stopping. Yeah. But it's not finished. So Mm -hmm. when you get to that point where you're hearing it a month or two or six months later, you're going, yeah, it really wasn't finished because I would make different choices right now. Well, there's a really um, famous U2 quote where they asked that band, you know, talking about albums and they're like, they're like, songs are never finished. They're just released. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great perspective to have. That's cool. And that's something that, that I, I really appreciate about live sound, it, particularly knowing myself. I mean, yeah. I will work something until I can't stand anymore. Yeah. You know, and with live sound, there is a fine, there is a finish line. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is, you get a redo tomorrow night. Well, and, <laughs> yeah. and that's the yeah. thing. It's or it's kind over of, and done with and never comes back. Yeah, it, it's kind of the best of both worlds, yeah. you know, because it's like, and that's always the thing is like, you know, well, get to try again tomorrow. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you're not happy with yeah. it. Yeah, well, there have been countless times when I've thought in the middle of a set, okay, remind me, tomorrow I want to try this uh-huh. and just see how it works because there is that opportunity for another at bat, so does totally. Speak. But I love the idea of the difference between the mix and the music. Mm-hmm. I think if we can encourage young people especially to try to find the music mm-hmm. in the mix. Like what is the what is the emotional mm-hmm. mo- moment? What mm-hmm. is that that we're trying to do to move people? So you mentioned, you know, moving the asses and clapping the hands or whatever yeah. it is, singing along. That's a fantastic yeah. metric. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like if yeah. I can look around the audience in a live setting, if I can look around and see people respond it's great. If yeah. they're not responding, I've got to figure out why. Mm-hmm. Because that's the whole point, sure. right? Is to make them feel the music that the artist is intending. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, I think what we're talking about here is macro versus micro. You know, you pull back and you want to hear the whole thing, you know, but then you start focusing in on the hi-hat or, or any of the individual instruments. And it's so challenging, but that's exactly what we face when we have artists for revisions on mixes. Oh yeah. You know, you're like, why are you trying to listen in a way that's opposite to the way your fans mm-hmm. listen? Because mm-hmm. when a fan pulls up a brand new track on Spotify or whatever, they're not going in with the intent of, I'm going to focus intently on the snare drum for the next three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's, but I mean, for us, it's really hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really hard to do. I have a good friend, an engineer in Nashville who was back and forth on a project one time between A&R and him as the engineer. And it was just, 
you know, they were on revision eight or nine or ten. It was just mm-hmm. this back and forth, and he was making meticulous notes of saving as he went, just to make sure that he could look back and see exactly what changed. So from him, from the first submission to the final revision that ended up on the record, after all that back and forth, Mm -hmm. he said what really changed was the snare was up about half a dB. That's just insane to me. Because Mm -hmm. nobody did what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Nobody went, okay, let's just pause here and go, how does this make me feel? Because you, you get so zoned in on a particular aspect that you can't hear the forest for the trees. Yeah. Well, that's the beautiful thing about, <clears throat> you know, again, the, the metric that you mentioned. Yeah. That was told to you or, the, or what you said. And I do the same thing in, in, the, in the live arena. You know, I have my own. I, I kind of don't need anyone or even a visual to know where we are, mm-hmm. whether I think it's good or not. But the ultimate, the deciding factor on how we're doing is when I look or is looking around. Mm-hmm. And seeing on an experiential mm-hmm. level, how's everyone moving with it? Because what happens too is there's so many things in life where we feel like we have to do something, and that includes during the mix process. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like I have to have comments, and particularly now it's even worse. Oh, where yeah. with the recallability, they know, yeah, they know you can get back to it way quick. Yeah. So it's like people feel like they have to have comments, or we feel like we have to keep picking at it. Whereas, like, you look at, like, a child when they listen to music, they're either digging it or they're not. Yeah. yeah. You know? And the crowd that came there that night, for example, they're either having fun or they're not. Yeah. And it's, like, so simple to, to look at that. But that's the exact opposite of why we're there. You know? Well, and a lot of live engineers who are just starting out feel like they're not doing their job if they're not doing something. Yeah. So they're just constantly twiddling. Totally. And it's like, well, if I'm not mm-hmm. twisting a knob or adjusting a fader, then somehow I'm not. I'm, somebody's going to think yeah. I'm not doing my job. It's like, man, sometimes you just got to step back and sing along yeah, and just see how it feels as an audience member. Yep. I think that's a great tip. I've had a number of acts that have sort of poked fun at me. And <clears throat> they'll be like, you look so bored out there. I'm like, if you see me doing this at the center section of the deck, that's the best thing you could hope for is my <laughs> client. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I am frantically moving about, like that's actually not what you want to have happen. Absolutely. You know? That's so, funny. But I'm guilty of it. I'll fidget and move. But hopefully, just, just I'm, because. But hopefully, I'm. It's small stuff that's being done. You know. So back to the original question: Is there anything that you're thinking in terms of? So to get a little more micro, mm-hmm. as you're approaching specific sources, are you making assumptions about what you're going to need to do or what you're? I'm just trying to get to the, if there's anything practical, like Mm -hmm. sonically for a snare drum or sonically for a vocal, here's sort of the way I'm going to try to dive in. Yes, absolutely. I mean, for me personally, I mean, I I didn't come from a background of beginning in the studio of having Pro Tools. I mean, it was all, you know, started on a four track cassette machine into an ADAP machine into a Mackie. So it was, it was very, you know, outboard gear based and going, okay, well, I want to, run this through this processing and I want to embrace the compression on the front end and go to tape that way or live that way and go, okay, well, this is what we're going to have on the back end and what I'm aiming for. And at the end of the night, you know, we've told young people on zoom calls and things like that, they they get so wrapped around the mix. I mean, I specifically remember multiple times Mm -hmm. of being in the studio and finishing a song for the day and go, let's just drop it down to, to the master link just so we can have it for reference. And then a week and a half later, when the record's done, we're all sitting there mixing. And it's not a thing where you become married to the mix. It's like you go back to it 
And That's a great idea. I loved having the conversation with Ken Scott about this, about the Bowie stuff and, and, the, and the George Harrison. It's like, you know, those guys didn't do multiple takes. Mm -hmm. They did it one time because it was in the moment. So don't be scared to be in the moment and commit to it at the end of the night and say, we're all in this together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Print it and leave it and come back to it. Because a lot of times everybody in the room went, man, we can't beat that. Because what you might think is a rough mix exactly. is pretty darn it's close. It's the moment at 2 a.m. Yeah. when it's everybody's mm -hmm. there and they're on the same page. That sounds great. Let's leave it. So That's I've, cool. But Andrew, I have five terabytes of space on the hard drive that I can <laughs> fill with take 17 of the vocal. What is it? McConaughey said that too many options will make a tyrant of us all. Yeah. Well, I've always thought, you know, back in the days when we were recording a two-inch tape, mm -hmm. there was something about having to wait for tape to rewind. Mm -hmm and having to make conscious choices because we had click on one track, Simpty on another track, so we were down to 22 tracks. Yep. You've got a five-piece rhythm section in the room. What are we gonna do? And so there's a guitar player during tape rewind going, okay, I gotta really be selective about the part. To the brain break, too. The brain break, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and to go, okay, I saw the piano player did this at the turnaround between the first chorus and the second verse, so I've got the next turnaround, so what are we gonna do part-wise? that complement each other. Mm -hmm. All that kind of stuff, playing as a band, it's it's a lost art in a lot of young people's minds because no they don't have that limitation. Yeah. I can, <clears throat> to, to answer the question in a very unpoetic way, just to, to be the lame-o that kind of gives you a nuts <laughs> and bolts answer, um, when I'm in the midst of a mix, I do have a kind of a set of checks, uh, you know, checks and balances and that is headroom. Because okay. as we start working on the individual elements, of course I want each individual element to be the best that it can be, both on its own and cohesively again with the hug as the whole unit. But like on a on a just a numerical basis, we only have what we have. Right. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always really conscious as I'm building things of how they're how it's adding, you know, constructively. Mm -hmm. um, and additively in, in the grand scheme of things, because you will end up, before you know it, with no more room to go. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many more tricks you've got left, there's sure. nothing left. So just for like an actual kind of nuts and bolts answer, headroom is something that I kind of keep keep an eye on. And, and I can be kind of artsy and in the moment and still go, I'm fine or mm, I need to pull it back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you still have that same mentality to say if you know beforehand that what you're doing is going to be you know, put out in the world as a live record? Yeah, I do because I, <clears throat> like I mix the same, I'm so, and it's to be lazy is the way that it's, I'm, mm -hmm. it's, I'm so regimented. Yeah. You know, I mix the same way for everything all the time. And mm -hmm. now in the digital era, it's grown to where I mix everything up to the tip top. Yeah. You know, almost this kind of pre-mastered sort of, not, totally void of dynamics, but it is a modern thing. And so, yeah, no matter where it's going, and that's what helps me to not, I don't have to reinvent the wheel every time I do a mix that, yeah. for that reason. Mm -hmm. You know what cool. I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, I can agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, you know, in Pro Tools world, I live and die by templates. Mm -hmm. And so I have templates and, and when somebody hires me to, to mix, I'll bring in my buses and yeah, you're right. I go ahead and get my, my drum bus feeling the way it normally does, hitting the processing in the way that it normally does. Mm -hmm. And that's my headroom for that, and then go from there. And yeah, I don't even probably think about feel until I get that technical stuff 
right in line. Well, because you know, like it's particularly with drums, where yeah. all the power is. If it's sitting in a safe spot, yeah. then you're just kind of yeah. yeah. You're just doing this, <laughs> yeah. you know. But if you if you weren't thinking about that, and then you were focused somewhere else, all of a sudden, when you think everything's feeling good, you bring the drums up, and you're like, mm-hmm. nope. I hit that too hard, or I didn't hit it hard enough, or mm-hmm. vice versa. So yeah, that's what blows me away. Where people don't have, <clears throat> they don't have standards, and I, and I mean that on a level, <laughs> in terms of audio levels. Okay, not the league uh, of medium handsomeness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, ah, a level yeah. of medium yeah. handsomeness. There's a lot of people that would attack me personally with that comment. But I, as far as you know, your your input meters, your output meters, your leveling. If you don't have standards, how do you know? It feels like you would just you're just winging it every day. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's why I'm a big proponent of kind of knowing your marks, knowing where you want to be. Not to the point to where you make a decision based on a numerical value. And not the you know the 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 aural value mm-hmm. you know yeah. but but the math does matter especially in digital mm-hmm. and there is a sweet spot there is right and so yeah. mixing into that sweet spot and particularly gosh just looking at what we're sorry to interrupt yeah, looking yeah. at what we're around here this is the epitome of sweet spots absolutely right? all of these things here have and they're all over the place yeah the you laws know? don't apply to the yeah. well as much as you get a little bit of. You get a little bit more forgiveness in yeah, analog, yes. right? But yeah. there is a limit. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, tape compression sounds great, but everything clipping all the time mm-hmm. may not sound all that awesome. Yeah. So. I tell people, I, I tell them all the time when, I, as, as it pertains to metering, <clears throat> I'm like, you know, pay attention to peak because peak is the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing past peak. Now I realize now internally we can clip, but let's just. You, we all know what we're talking about here. You can't go peak is peak. That's it. You're done. Yeah. You know, work. Try to try to work and think in the realm of like RMS. How do I make that louder? Because right. I say, you know, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'll say RMS is free, baby. It's not free, but you can hang out there's in there. A little there. more wiggle room. You mm-hmm. can. Yeah. After this, there's nothing left. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So there are, there are rules. There are certain rules. Thank God there are. Talk about things never being done. Yeah. Not only would things never be done, they'd be infinitely loud. You yeah. know. But right. she, yeah. you know. I, th- I thought about this one of the first times that I ran live sound and, and talking about this again is that, you know, we have the luxury, unlike you do in the studio environment. I know you've witnessed, you've been a part of this many times where you're sitting there and you're, you're trying to make it work and it's not working. You just go, you know what? Bring everything mm-hmm. back down. Start over. Yeah, stop. Over. Yeah. And walk away yeah. for a minute and come back to it. You can't do that when you got hundred thousand people. In yeah, <laughs> that's and that's the beauty <laughs> of the rehearsal period. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, although frequency. you will be surprised, and I, I've copped to this a lot. You will be surprised how many times if it's like a, it's a really dense mix, <clears throat> and I'm talking. There are sixty thousand people there, mm-hmm. and my three guitars are bugging me, and I'll just mute them all for a second, and then unmute them and be like, "That's what it is." <laughs> or just and I mean, because I'm like, you know what? I knew it. Yeah. I'm not gonna get fired. There's 12 it's okay. stacks. I got you know, and it's you know, but like to just check real quick. I will literally mute something in the middle of the show. It depends on what kind of tour it is. If it's a show where the artist is listening to the board mix every night, of course I'm not doing that. But if yeah. I think I can get away with it, just to be like. I'm pretty sure I know what's mucking this up. Yep, it was that. Okay, cool. Here we go. You know, like yeah. everyone's still That's clapping. Awesome. We're good. But mm. I'll do it just yeah. to check. You know. Wow. So. so speaking of board mixes, so how do you guys? You're on the road. You're on the bus, and you get a text from the artist. Listen to the board mix, and they've got some thoughts, notes. How do you? How do you guys deal with that? Most of the time, I think. Well. I think part of our job, especially in live sound, is to be sort of half musician, half technician, half therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's de- depending on, you know, 
it's like two out of three every day, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm a technician and a musician. Sometimes I'm a musician and a therapist and any combination thereof. So I think some of it is just knowing, like, is this really, not to dismiss their issue, mm-hmm. but how can I, how can I say yes, I agree, or yes, I hear you, and let's listen to that together. And, or if it's something like, no, there's a reason why this happened this way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. sometimes it's if there's a problem, yeah. you're having to explain what may have happened. If it's just a preference or a taste yeah. thing, then first of all, I hope that my board mix is actually a translation of what was in the PA. Sure. Like if I listen to the mix and I go, yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. Then I can hopefully talk to them and explain. And if, if it's not what their vision was, then yeah, I'll listen and say, okay, I, I'll... I'll buy that and I'll mm. I'll back that off or, or turn that up or whatever. But if it's constantly, you know, if I hear from the guitar player every night. That he wants more guitar. More guitar, more guitar, more guitar. It's like, mm-hmm. well, the guitar is plenty loud in the PA. Yeah. You're not hearing it maybe from behind the PA, but man, everybody's engaging with what you're doing. And yeah. so we're not going to have a guitar solo mix. Mm-hmm. But how about you? What do you? You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> As you were answering, being in a, uh, educational environment that is like write that down obviously yeah. it made it to tape because that's a, I'm not just saying that because we're sitting here <clears throat> that's a near perfect answer on so many levels um, on so many levels and I guess the only one thing I would add to that is you know I kind of look I'll know my artist mm-hmm. and I'll know whether I need to be one step ahead of them yeah. and meaning like and nowadays it's not so much board mixes it's like Instagram or, or somebody's yeah. phone video oh, no. that got posted to something and they're hearing the PA yes. through somebody's phone. And that oh, wow. is the, the honest hmm. to God truth. And it's so crazy that now as, you know, as live mixers, it really is any mixer now. Same thing for studio stuff. Yeah. I mean, it gets dumbed down to the phone. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It absolutely. So we're mixing in the, you know, in the live realm. I've got 9 million speakers, 818 inch you know, subwoofers. I've got all this stuff. Yep. But I'm going to be judged on more than likely the result on someone's phone. An Instagram video. On an Instagram phone. Yeah. And I gotta be honest with you, I, like I, I usually come out okay on the Instagram level. Yeah. I really do. And, and if, if more times than not, it kind of does you favors because it'll kind of clean up some of the mud or this and that. But you know, answering the question though, it's like if I know the artist, if I know they're looking, I'm looking before they're looking. Uh-huh. You know. Uh, so I do. Well, because you know management's looking. And I know, yeah. I know who's looking, yeah. I know Plus, I'll know. I'll know if there was a weird moment or if there's this and that. And then, you know, kind of just echoing your statements. It also depends on who it's coming from, you right. know. And it's is it someone crying wolf? Is it it's some artist? That's just part of their sort of neurotic energy is to pick. It's like the mix not ever being done. Is right. to Like, they don't go to bed before they look at it and then wonder what happened and what went wrong. And then they expire. <laughs> yeah. And then they wake up the next day and everything's okay. You but there, and for a lot of them, there's this insecurity of, well, why don't they like me? What are they? It, there's you know, all that. They're, they're looking for those affirmations. And, and that's important. It, it because is. Because we have to acknowledge that that is part of what made them an artist. And I will tell you this, while that text nowadays <clears throat> um, might scare a lot of people, there mm-hmm. is an enormous opportunity to build a relationship. Oh, yeah. Sure. If you're getting that, particularly 100%. not from their people... Right. Not from their management, not from the MD, not from the but if you're getting it from the artists themselves, like it might be a little, depending on what it is, it might be a little scary in the moment, but there, there's the opportunity to, to, to really take that somewhere.
That's very cool. So a lot of our audience is in the house of worship space. Mm -hmm. So that comment and that thread directly translates to how their Facebook feed or their live stream is being perceived. Mm -hmm. So we can maybe take some time to address that in another sort of topic, another video. But for, for now, for this moment, I just thank you guys so much because this is so helpful just to understand this sort of macro level of how we approach what we do because it's so vital. We get so easily bogged down into tweezing the settings on an EQ or a compressor and rarely do we have the sense just to step back and go, how's this feel? Because the people on stage, looks like it feels great to them because they're having a party. And the people around me, are they are they feeling it? Okay, good, we're okay. Nothing to freak out about, you know, so we'll, we'll worry about tweezing our snare drum settings in our own time. But for now, we're gonna sit back and enjoy the music. Yep, I'm very jealous. I was not able to make that trip because that conversation was awesome. Um, if you want to hear that conversation again and see it and hear more stuff like it, we, like you already know, spent a whole week with the guys at Tweed recording content with all those guys, and that is on MXU now. So go to our website, www.mxu.rocks, and subscribe to MXU now to get 300 videos like that one. Yeah. Jeff? Man, I'm going to go eat some tasteless lunch i'm gonna go check my dms about people yelling at me about pro tools <laughs> well i hope you don't have uh too many things to answer to but it is a good conversation and it's important to have i think you know again we're open prove us wrong but it's gonna be hard to do it, it probably is <laughs> All right, man. Well, have a great week and yeah, uh, you too. enjoy eating celery. Oh, thanks. We'll do it again soon. All right. See you. Bye, everybody. <laughs>